Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me is our host, Dr. Russ McCullough, our Menard Family Philosophy and Ethics Professor, Dr. Justin Clark, my fellow graduate assistant, Jacob Michael, and our undergraduate assistant, Jacob Caudill. Okay, well, welcome. Um, today, I thought it would be nice to get into uh, personal finances and uh, look to see what uh, we should be doing with the COVID money coming in. And uh, Justin, you're smiling. Did I mess up? Are we going to go with the other topic first? Or, <laughs> or are you just smiling on other things? I, I can't remember. I, I thought this was the right phase. So, okay. We all have been getting some checks is what we're told. Um, Jacob, you got yours. What are you doing with it right now? Uh, just need to pay utilities, and I'll probably just save it. Okay. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Utilities and savings. What's the name of your savings? Like, what type of saving? Just my savings account, and I'll probably put uh, a couple hundred into a brokerage account. Do you have a target amount of saving that you're trying to do, or do you just? I just always try to keep it over a thousand for right now. Okay. So if you're keeping it over a thousand, then you kind of have a thousand marked as a as an amount of funds that would be for emergencies only, or yeah, it's a, it's a Dave Ramsey emergency fund. Okay, and that is a, a baby step number one in the Dave Ramsey system, anyway, is to have an emergency fund. I think these times have certainly highlighted the uh, need for emergency fund so that you can ride out the storms of life that come along. But uh, let me challenge you, Jacob. Do you know what baby step number two is for the Dave Ramsey? Um, I'm guessing it's the debt snowball. Yeah, good. That's to pay off all the debt. So student loans, car loans, um, the whole nine yards, and maybe furthermore to commit to a lifestyle that doesn't use debt, except for a house, by the way. He does carve out with his plan borrowing for a house as needed. So, um, so yeah, kind of a debt-free lifestyle. So that's why baby step number two is important. He does them in this order so that if you tried to do baby step number two and pay off all your debts, but you didn't have an emergency fund, then pretty much right around the corner is another emergency where you'd have to, oops, I got to use the credit card again. And so you're never really achieving that objective without first fulfilling the emergency fund. And I think that's what's so fundamental uh, with the times that we're having now um, is to really have that rainy day fund that if we're going to have a, a job loss or shift change or a drop from full-time to part-time or whatever the case is, uh, I suspect a lot of people in the United States and around the world for that matter are going to have a brand new appreciation uh, for an emergency fund. Hey, Russ, so, can I press on that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I completely understand why he would say that, you know, or why step two has to do with debt. And I take it that part of the reason he thinks that is part of the reason that he thinks taking on debt for uh, to buy a house is 
permissible because it's such a large item to purchase and it's an asset. And does it have anything to do with the fact that interest rates for purchases of houses are qualitatively different than interest rates on loans for, you know, student loans or credit card interest? I would say it's less so of the last thing you said with regard to interest rates. Um, Probably top reason would be you've got to live somewhere. So you're either going to be paying rent or you're going to be potentially owning a home. But before you get to that point, um, he would uh, want you to be to the point where you're, you've got a bigger emergency fund saved up. So um, baby step number three, after you've paid off all your debts, now imagine the freedom that you have. And I think a lot of listeners can think like, what if I didn't have my car payment right now? What if I didn't have my student loan? What if I didn't have the credit card payment? If you start adding all that up mentally, and let's just say for your household, it's $600. It's like, wow, now that I got laid off, wouldn't $600 a month be nice to have, right? To that freedom and that wiggle room uh, to have at your discretion. And so that's part of the logic. Um, uh, part of the logic with the debt, um, before I go to the house thing too far, is um, that debt, those purchases, consumer purchases, whether it's car, TV, you know, you name it, it's all about patience. It's like if you just waited, you can pay cash for it. And if you do pay cash, you might be getting a heck of a lot better deal when you walk into a place and be able to negotiate with cash rather than always be thinking about monthly payments and how much you can afford that way. And so it really changes your mentality uh, when you start taking a a debt-free approach. And um, so if it all boils down to, uh, he likes to say, and I agree, that uh, personal finance is like 80% behavior, 20% numbers. And that's part of my comment back to the interest rates is that that's a little less important and it's more about you. And do you have um, the reserves in you to wait six months to buy that thing, that computer that you're waiting to do instead of needing it today? And so most of the time, if we really dig deep within ourselves, we can probably wait to pay cash. And so it's just a nice way to uh, take on less risk because if you don't take on that monthly payment, then again, like I said, if you lose your job uh, the next month, then you don't have those bills hanging over you and you're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have bought that. Whereas if you pay cash, you don't have to worry about it and you have all of your income stream to be uh, put devoting towards your expenses. So on on the house part, I'd say the big factor is you have to live somewhere It is a good purchase. In general, you're right that housing prices tend to go up. That market can get distorted as we learned in 2008 with the housing bubble and some people's houses went down in a big way. But in general, when you purchase a house for 150,000, it's likely going to maintain its value at least at 150,000. And some markets, of course, as, as, um, as you know, you might have some real appreciation uh, that exceeds inflation even. And so all of those are good reasons to um, get into a house when it's the right time, when you have the right size emergency fund, when you're ready to, uh, you know, change the roof when the roof goes bad or the furnace. Um, That's where the emergency fund kicks in because your landlord, uh, when you're a tenant, you have the luxury of the landlord replacing the $3,000 furnace But when you own the house, you have to come up with that money. And if you've committed to not doing debt, 
the way you can do that is you'd be on baby step number three, where you've, you've uh, built up your uh, emergency fund to three to six months of your monthly expenses. So imagine if you're um, making, you know, let's just say $4,000 uh, a month, and that's roughly what your expenses are. 4,000 times three, three to six months of expenses is 12,000 bucks. Most people don't have that. Having a nice big $12,000 cushion, depending on your circumstances, maybe that cushion is six months. That would be $24,000 sitting in account, kind of like what Jacob's doing, but his is only at 1,000. Imagine how free life is and the bumps and the road that you can take on when you have a twelve dollars to $24,000 shock absorber sitting in the account. 98% of life's problems probably disappear. Now, is it possible that you get into um, some sort of uh, health problem or some sort of jam that's more than that? Of course, you know, but the probability of $12,000 not covering most of your problems is, is, is very low. And so you're in a really dynamite position to take on uh, whatever life throws you when you get up to that level of an emergency fund. The other fun thing is, of course, the COVID is an example, but uh, let's say work isn't going so good, you know, and it's like most people, if you're paycheck to paycheck, you're like, oh, I really hate my boss. I really hate my job, but I got to pay the bills next month, right? Because you're more or less running from check to check. You got three to six months of emergency fund. You just tell your boss to go to, you know, H-E double hockey sticks and you walk out the door. You sing a little song, take this job and shove it. And you're out of there, right? Now that's freedom. That's real freedom. And so um, there's lots of virtue in trying to set yourself up in a, in a position like that. And so that's where these uh, first three baby steps, I'd say if, if most people could get through baby steps one through three, life would look pretty, would look pretty awesome. So. So I actually agree with all of that, except what he says about car. Oh, you want to borrow for the car. Huh? Uh, <laughs> for the same reason that he says about you need somewhere to live. Um, most people need a car and it's not something that they can, uh, you know, wait around and save up and pay cash for. Secondly, even if you have the money to pay cash for a car, you can get a car interest loan rate with almost zero right now, uh, even lower than like a, a housing loan. And so even if you have the money to pay cash for a car, you might actually be financially better off just putting that money in a fund, not touching it so that, uh, and not even counting it as part of your emergency fund or whatever, just count it as this is my car money. Uh, but I know I can get a better return on it in an in index fund um, and then borrowing it at almost exactly zero for a car payment. Uh, now, credit card and and education lo- loans, those, you know, the interest rate on credit cards is insane. And so absolutely uh, get rid of those. But that's my only quibble. All right. So that's the big but. All right. So Dave's, Dave gets that but. Um, he calls it the but Dave portion of his, of his show. And uh, I tend to agree with him on this. Um, I don't have any car loans. Uh, I drive older cars. Uh, my newest vehicle I own right now is 2004. And so to say that you can't buy a decent car uh, for 
four thousand to six thousand dollars just isn't true. In fact, you can wait, buy wait, probably wait, 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 a wait, wait, decent wait. car for a wait, couple wait, thousand wait, 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 wait. to I get you to that. work. Yes, you did. You said you needed a car. That you were justifying a car loan because yeah. you want to buy the eighteen thousand dollar car. If I'm not no, understanding no, no, right. no, 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 no. Because it has less problems and. Uh, I don't have to worry about it breaking down. Uh, you didn't what, directly did say that. When did I say that? It was totally no. implied in that no, whole no, statement. No, 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 no. You are putting words in my mouth. I never said a word of that. Okay, so then come back and re-justify your car loan. Or were you just hanging your hat on the 0% only? Because I'm going to beat up that one too. But No, the claim, no, you, the claim was most people don't need... Uh, to buy these things like television, et cetera, and car loans got put in that. Now, okay. I think that most people for their jobs need a car and you yeah. can get a car loan for very, very low. But they don't need a car loan. They need a car. Cars and loans do not have to go together with each other. Russ, you're an economist though. And it, you know that if you can get a higher rate of return on your money by putting it in an index fund, than by giving it away right now. Yes, that would be a risk not worth taking. Uh, so on paper, yes, you can uh, take the get the eight to twelve percent rate of return in a in a mutual fund, and so I I, I take that zero percent car money and and or, or let's say three percent car money, even if we put a positive number on it. Um, I take that 3% car money and then I invest it in the stock market at, at a minimum of 8% and boom, I'm making a 5% return. Woohoo, I'm smart. The problem with that is that you're not real smart in terms of not maybe evaluating the risk. We tend to put too much value in the weighing of, of risk that uh, you're not taking. So most people, we look at the long-term stock market average which by the way, I totally agree with, that's baby step number four, 15% of your income going towards investments when you have the rest of your ducks in a row. And so if you end up having the stock market go down and you've also got the car loan and you lose your job, are people experiencing that might right now with COVID? Heck yeah, absolutely. That's the risk I'm talking about. You can get rid of that risk by not doing a car loan. So yes, you need a car, absolutely. It's a very high priority item. Is it possible to bike to work? Yes. Is it possible to walk to work? Yes. Is it possible to take mass transit to work? Yes. Is it possible to Uber to work? Yes. So the answer is yes in all types of ways, but yes, I would agree with you, the car, loan, the car is an important asset for somebody to think about, but it does not have to go along with a loan. Now, Go ahead. Rebut. I think we're just going to have to disagree because I think the answer for most Americans to those questions you just asked is no, 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 and no, and no for biking to work, Ubering to work. Uh, those things <laughs> tend to be much, much more expensive. Why? Because most people uh, work at a distance that makes it, and in climates that make it uh, near impossible for them to bike to work. Okay, I'll go along with that, that uh, uh, buying a car is, is probably uh, a better option for most people. So now tell me why I need a loan with that car. For the reasons I, I just explained, and it wasn't that you need a loan for the car. It was that loans for cars belong in separate categories than <laughs> credit card loans. 
And if you go back and listen to what I actually said in the beginning, rather than <laughs> something that might have been imagined that I said, that's what I claimed, that uh, car loans were more like housing loans than they were like education loans or credit card loans, which are very, very bad. Yeah. Well, uh, those, those cars, uh, yes, we all like the new car smell of a $30,000 car. Um, but no one is talking about a $30,000 car. So why, can't, why do you need a loan for a $2,000 car? You don't, unless you do. <laughs> okay. If you uh, do need a loan for a $2,000 car because you can't uh, get to your job otherwise, then it's obviously in your best interest to get the, the car for 2000 Okay, so you're, you're taking some of the baby steps out of order, right? So let's order our life so that if we have uh, the problem of getting a car, we have a car fund with our zero-based budget that we have. So now with all the dollars coming in, I can budget a car fund that will help with repairing the car I have or two, saving up for a new car. Because last time I checked, if the average car payment is $250 or so, 10 months from now, you've got $2,500, right? And so maybe you'd be in a predicament where you're not, uh, you, you're just starting fresh and you have a car loan or you have a car loan and you're like, okay, is it a good idea to go out and buy another car to get another car loan? I mean, those answers are situational. And the answer is uh, no. <laughs> you probably can get creative on digging yourself out of the hole. So uh, a kind of a similar question, I think, that that has been on, let's say, uh, callers to Dave's show over the years would be, I have a car loan, should I pay it off? You know, should I, I have a $4,000 car loan left on my $10,000 car? You know, should I pay it off? The answer is yes, you should continue to make payments and ultimately pay it off. But should you pay it off right now? Well, not necessarily. If you don't, if you don't have, if you have other debts that are um, different than that one that are smaller, it might go towards those other debts. So it, it, it can be situational, but I would say it's uh, something so it that like, you can. It sounds like you agree with me then. If you think that you shouldn't necessarily pay off a car loan, you should that's make different payments than, instead. That's um, different than going out and getting a new car with a car loan. Isn't it? Again, I have never said new car. I don't know why you keep saying that. It's well, I'm talking existing car. I'm talking, you, I assume that's what you're talking, used car with a loan, right? Sure, yeah, used it, car. With it applies loan. to both. But if, if your claim is that if you already have a car uh, loan with a payment, that what you ought to do is continue paying that off month by month on the loan amount instead of paying your lump sum, to get out of the loan, which is what you just said you ought to do. Right? It would be in the debt snowball, which we haven't completely talked about. I think Jacob uh, mentioned the debt snowball. So the car loan would be part of the ordering of your debts from smallest to biggest. And so wherever that car loan fit into your list, that is where you'd come up to the time. If it's the smallest loan that you have of all the loans you've got, then yes, uh, they would be saying, let's uh, not go out to restaurants, which works nicely with COVID, by the way. Uh, let's not go out to restaurants. Let's kind of squeeze everything out of our paycheck so that we can clobber the debt. And so we are going to put extra dollars of our paycheck, whatever we can uh, throw at all of our debts. But it would, if your car loan's the smallest debt, that would be the one you'd be hitting. 
So it is in the overall grand scheme of things. All right, well, that looks like a great place for a break. Uh, probably went a little long here, but since we were getting such a good sparring match going on, uh, I figured we'd just keep on continuing and maybe that fight will continue after the break. We'll see you in 30 seconds. The Gortney Institute is seeking a graduate assistant. Earn your MBA with full tuition by participating in fun and impactful events. For more information, check out the Gortney Institute website. To ask a question for our mailbag, send us an email at info at or call us at 785-248-2500. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. The Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Justin or Russ today. We're back, and it's time to continue on my second part to uh, challenging uh, Justin, who wants car loans, and he wants to make millions of dollars off the spread that he can get uh, investing it in, what did you say, Bitcoin, was it, or uh, Tesla stock, or something like that, that you're going to make millions off the spread? I would just I would just note that one of us is actually <laughs> dealing with what the other person says, and the other one of us has this cartoon that they are just, you know, <laughs> strawmanning to death. So for our listeners, just note which one of us is arguing in good faith. And that's all I'll say on this issue right now. All right. I, I wanted to come back to the 0% thing because um, you can do better than 0%. And, and the reason is um, when you come with cash, you're in a lot better negotiating position. So whatever that car is, if you're doing the loan, usually the 0% rate has a premium built into the price. A lot of those used car dealers have been doing this for years, and then they're able to dump it off on a secondary market and collect the 2000 premium. So for example, they have a, you know, a Chevy Malibu that's uh, $12,000. Well, the real price on it would be 10, let's say. And so they jack the price up to 12, they say 0% financing, and then whatever the payment is, the payment is, they get you to buy the car, they have the loan, and then they can package up the loan if they don't already have a packager. They're, they might be working with a lender that then dumps it off, and then that dealer gets $2,000 in their hand, profit, on top of whatever they made on the car. That was just the financing package that they got an extra commission, so to speak, off the financing. So when you come in with cash, if, if somebody's advertising a 0% deal, um, you'll likely be able to talk them down uh, substantially off of the price from that 0%. And so that's where you can beat 0% is really on the upfront negotiations of your cash price uh, on the day. And if, if that person's not willing to deal or whatever, well, so be it. You just walk off to the next car and buy something else. 
because uh, cash is king and it, it still is today that you'll be in a lot better position to negotiate a good deal. So that's my 0% uh, pushback on how you can do better than 0%. Uh, and by the way, uh, those of you who are doing some math, uh, that's roughly an infinite rate of return, roughly, roughly speaking, infinite rate of return when you can talk down that Chevy Malibu from 12,000 to 10,000 uh, compared to financing it with the 12, you just save $2,000 on a $12,000 purchase or however you, whatever you want to use as the denominator, a, a $2,000 uh, savings on a $10,000 car just to keep the numbers easy is 20%. Now that's 20% annually. You just did it on the spot in a minute or two of negotiations. You got an infinite rate of return by being a good negotiator and dealing with cash right up front. And that's going to be better than any Bitcoin or uh, Tesla stock that Justin can dream up. Anything out there, that rate of return is going to be. <laughs> All right, fine. That's me dreaming it up. But uh, I like to tell a little story. This gets people going because we always have uh, these investment uh, gurus or, or people that are giving advice on the next best thing. So. All right, so um, Jason, you, you, why don't you tell us a little bit about your emergency fund uh, situation? Well, how do you deal with some of your finances? Yeah, so I do an emergency fund that's um, four months worth of like my monthly living. Okay. So that's what I have is my emergency fund. Okay. And then uh, other like finance things I do, I, I have a Roth IRA. And I, I do put money into an HSA account at work, too. Okay. And do you have a car loan? I do not have a car loan. Good. I paid good. it with cash. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So I just, the reason, I, 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 if I remember right from our previous conversations, I don't think you have any debt, right? Is that correct or not? Right now, I do not. Okay. So that's a great place to be in. And here's the thing that some people would do, like, let's just pretend you do have I don't know, car loan or some other sort of loan, and you've got four months of your income. And again, uh, just making up a number, let's just say that Jason had $15,000 sitting in an account somewhere. And the question was, oh my gosh, should I pay off my car loan of $14,000, right? So I have a car loan of 14000 Should I take that big cushion of cash and actually pay it off? Dave Ramsey's answer would be yes, all day long. So you should not be building up baby step number three, the three to six months emergency fund until you're debt free. So maintain a thousand dollar emergency fund, pay off all your debts. And now you'd have uh, the ability to build back up your 15,000 now that you're debt free and you've, you've gotten rid of that payment. And of course, if you had a three, $400 car payment associated with that $14,000 debt, it's not going to be too long for you to build that emergency fund back up. So I've, I've heard him give that advice over time. So Sounds like you're doing great, Jason. I expect nothing less of one of my economics uh, majors. So that, that's, that's awesome. All right. Um, well, let me finish out the, the baby steps um, and then see if anybody's got any other comments. So there's seven baby steps to the Dave Ramsey system. Um, and you don't move forward unless you got the previous ones done. So now we're sitting with our three to six months emergency fund. Our next step would be to start putting 15% of your income, which of course is unencumbered by any debts at this point. 15% of your income is going towards retirement. And so 
retirement's going to be into mutual funds. You might, for your company, have a 401k or IRA options. And, and so he goes through a whole menu of different investment choices. But when we get to the stage, you want that money to be in there at least five years, preferably 10 years, whatever. You're, you're, this is long-term retirement type funds. And that way you can put it in the type of risk level that you should be in, which is probably mostly all equities of stocks of all size companies, big ones, small ones, and some international. So he has a recommended mix of building your portfolio of mutual funds um, that gets you immediate diversification. And hopefully you should be capturing an eight to 12% of rate of return um, if you're in it for the long haul. And that way, when the stock market goes down for COVID, you put in your $300. When the stock market goes up, you put in $300 off this paycheck. When the stock market goes down, you put in $300, $300. You're doing what economists call dollar cost averaging. And so you look like a genius for the 300 that you put in when the stock market was down. And maybe you earned, you know, 40, 50% on that money. But you don't look so hot when you put it in when the stock market was at an upper turning point just before it was going to crash that $300 lost some money. So what you're doing by doing it that way is you're, you're ignoring some of the short-term fluctuations that always go on in the stock market. It's a great strategy um, so that you can be disconnected from Wall Street um, in terms of a direct way uh, day after day. You can stay doing what you're good at, uh, at your job, with your family, um, carrying on with your life, and you've just got this thing on, on autopilot. So that is the uh, baby step number four, which is a decent chunk of money, uh, 15%. But when you don't have any debts, it's actually not that bad. Uh, if you've got $100,000 of combined income between you and your spouse, just to keep numbers easy, I mean, that's $15,000 a year. And uh, that's going to grow to being a million uh, before too long um, uh, without getting out the investment calculators and stuff, the fun stuff that's available for that. Um, baby step number five is a college fund. So if you have some kids, Justin's got a couple young ones at home. Uh, he's probably like I was on the Ottawa University plan where they get to go to college free. Um, but uh, if you are planning to have uh, contribute to your kid's college, then you want to get that into some tax uh, preferred plans and start doing a little savings that way, whatever your personal uh, objective is there. Um, again, I like the way Dave phrases this is that uh, there's, you're not committing child abuse if you don't contribute anything to your parents or to your kid's college, right? So don't, don't have a big guilt trip. There's a lot of people that carry a lot of weight to guilt with that. But uh, his philosophy is um, you're better off making sure you're in a good financial position. Don't compromise your financial plan um, for your kid's plan. You can do it in the proper order. That's why it is one of the baby steps. But let's make sure that your house is in order before you start planning for your kids. So baby step number six is to pay off the house. Almost anti-American. And Justin would easily have some pushback here that, Russ, if I can get a 3% house loan, I could invest it in Wall Street and earn 10% and I'd earn a 7%. Yes, that's true from a finance standpoint. But uh, from a risk-reward standpoint, that house is completely safe that way. And it also safeguards you a little bit if uh, housing prices would drop, that you're not leveraged too bad on your house. But, um, but for the most part, um, you won't be too leveraged anyway. Uh, under his system, 
he recommends a minimum of a 10% down payment. Now you can go walk into a bank and get a 3% down payment. Uh, he suggests not doing that so that you're always in a pretty good equity position. Uh, so minimum of 10% down for a house and then uh, move towards totally paying that off and not having a house payment. Um, and then the final baby step is just to build wealth and give. So have a, a giving plan and how awesome it is that you can help somebody out when they're in time of need. Maybe uh, you know of people during this uh, crisis uh, that a thousand bucks would go a long ways. And, and if you're in a position where you're debt free, no house debt, and you've got a million dollars in uh, investments, and maybe you don't even have that million, but you've got the three to six months emergency fund, you're in a world where you can whip out a checkbook and you're not even going to blink an eye handing a person a thousand dollars to help them get through this month or next month, right? What an awesome place to, to be. Um, and so uh, by following these steps, you, you can be that and continue to uh, you know, build wealth in other ways with investments, however you see fit, starting new companies, investing in real estate, um, doing whatever you kind of want to do at that point. So that's the seven step baby system that I prescribe to personally. I've been teaching it at Ottawa University for the last nine years or eight years, I guess. I think I started it a year after I started. And uh, I found it to be very fulfilling and comforting. Um, I've gone through ups and downs in my life and uh, both financially and otherwise. And, and I found that this system makes a lot of sense in terms of being the best way to hand, to have a great shock absorber uh, to ride out COVID or whatever else comes your way. Hey, Russ, can I ask a uh, question about housing loans? Okay. Uh, this will be actually from the opposite angle. I'm, I'm kind of uh, interested to see that, to hear that Dave says, puts the uh, market 10% for housing loans um, because it's, I mean, you get a much, much better rate. And I typically, I thought the industry standard was 20% down for housing. So I'm surprised mm -hmm. he says he says 10%. There he, he, he would further recommend 20 uh, if you can stretch it because okay. you do uh, reduce the private mortgage insurance premium that you have yeah. to pay and you will get a better interest rate. So he does extend that. But at the same time, he realizes, I think, that the American dream, own my own house, um, with a 10% buffer, a 10% down payment, um, you're still going to be in a good position uh, interest rate-wise. You're going to look good to a lender um, because that is a decent chunk down. And so in the grand scheme of things, if you're just coming out of baby step number three, where you've got the three to six months of expenses and you're like, okay, I want to buy a house. Now all of a sudden you have to save up. If you want a $200,000 house, which isn't a big stretch in a lot of markets around the country, that's 20,000 bucks. So that's going to take you a while to get up even to that 10% level um, because he would not be wanting you to dip into the emergency fund um, as part of those, as part of that money. So that is a, I'd say a kind of a concession that he makes. I, honestly, he kind of, he's, he'll say, or you can go with the hundred percent down payment plan. And he's had clients who do that. They uh, save up. I had a, an old uh, student that was in my real estate class that called me up like just a few years after graduation. And he was at the time I had my real estate license was selling and he had taken my real estate class. And he's like, uh, well, I, I'm looking to buy an investment property. And of course I was in sales. So I'm like, Oh really? Okay. Well, um, 
you know, what, what are you thinking in terms of uh, level? And he's like, well, I'm thinking like 250,000. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what kind of down payment do you have? And he's like, I got 250,000. I'm like, what? Excuse me? I mean, what the heck you've been doing? So turns out he got into computer programming, started his own internet design site or something and uh, continued to live low, like just drove his college car and lived in a one bedroom apartment. He just bankrolled his money. And he saved up 250000 in, you know, a couple of years. It was really amazing, kind of blew me away. Uh, but so people do it. I mean, you, know, you might just choose to not have a house debt and, and uh, buy something less and work your way up. So can you buy a house for 20000 Yeah. Is it going to be a single wide trailer on a piece of land? Probably. But if that trailer, you know, four years from now is still worth twenty, and maybe it's worth thirty. And in the meantime, you've been saving more money. You could sell it. Now you've got 30000 from the sale plus another 30000 that you saved up and you've got 60000 So sometimes people do plans like that too. All right. Well, anything else for the good of the cause? Well, on behalf of the Gortney Institute here, I appreciate you all listening. And we've got a little donate button at our GortneyInstitute.org website where we have all of our activities and things that we do with the Institute. Uh, we also appreciate if you like what you hear to go ahead and give a five-star rating, especially on the iTunes uh, list or the I, the I whatever podcast. <laughs> what is that called again? Is it iTunes or is it? Uh, yeah. Okay. It is iTunes. I couldn't remember for sure. So I, I am obviously not an Apple user with, with that statement. But uh, that is where uh, a lot of the Google search engines uh, get their rankings and, when people check out Faith and Economics, it's great to have us come to the top of the list, which we are doing right now. So your continued support of doing stuff like that would be great. And other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.